pray, Father, that in this hour you would cause your word, like your grace, to flow to the lowest and deepest parts of our being. Give us hearts to meditate upon your Spirit's instruction, ears to hear you, and eyes to see you. All this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. If you notice, and it doesn't take that long to notice, some places are practically synonymous with what comes in their vicinity. Uh, Holtville, California is one of those places. It is known as the carrot capital of the world. Uh, they have a carrot festival every year, and so it would be accurate to say that Holtville is carrots. Or um, probably more well-known, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, which is what used to be my former stomping ground when I was young. Not when I was little. I was never little. I was young. Um, uh, Louisville is the home of the Kentucky Derby. So uh, Louisville is synonymous with, with horse racing. It is, it is known for the run for the roses. And there's something akin to that with followers of Jesus. You're synonymous with those who have put on the new self. As Ben preached last week in the first 11 verses of Colossians 3, um, followers of Jesus are described in verse 10, having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So God is doing a work in his people through the grace of Jesus Christ, is renewing us. We put on the new self. And now here in verses 12 through 17 of our epistle passage in Colossians, we see what this new self is. We get, in essence, a vision for it. And we see that Paul, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling us to take on the character of Jesus by the grace of Jesus, implied there in verse 10 earlier, as we follow him. And this is not something, by the way, that we just happen to slide into. Spiritual growth does not happen by accidents. The Apostle Paul demonstrates that we are to have, in this passage, particular attitudes and particular actions at play. And these things matter. There is an urgency in Paul's writing. So what does matter as we follow Jesus? In the first half of this passage, running through the first half of verse 15, we see that our posture Matters. There is a, there's a matter of stance uh, in, in terms of um, ha- how we are facing. Uh, and Paul gets at this through what seems to be a series of unspoken questions. Uh, in verse 12, he's answering the question, who are we? Uh, if there's still any lingering doubts in his readers' minds and hearts, he says, put on then, and he reminds them, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, reminding them of their identity. So uh, that is what brings up our posture, is the idea of that we are already chosen in Christ. We are set apart to live for Christ, and Christ delights in us. 
All of this, all of that that follows then flows from this reality of what Jesus has done for us and does in us, that he claims us for himself. And then he picks up, it seems, the question of what are we becoming? Uh, and this is where we get a layered list uh, of, of, of character qualities uh, put on compassionate hearts, that, that you show pity and charity towards people in, in need, that, that you are kind, that the disposition of your heart towards other people is that of kindness and not harshness. Humility. We are Christ people, his followers, are to be humble. Or we are to be marked by that, not where we are thinking necessary, as C.S. Lewis put it very well, you don't think less of yourself, but you think of yourself less. He says meekness. Now, by the way, this does not mean that you become a pushover. Okay, Meekness has to do with whatever strength you have, you're able to restrain it in appropriate times. That you do not use that as a license for rashness. To be patient, to be forgiving of each other. The implication there is that God's people are going to let you down and you are going to let others among God's people down. And how key it is to have a posture of forgiveness and being able to get past and to not hold people's sins against them. Unless there be any lingering doubt as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And then what motivates that posture? Paul says in verse 14, above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Do you have that stance, that posture, that you are seeking the best for someone else? That even if you don't feel mushy-gushy, lovey-dovey towards them, that's not what this word is getting at. It's talking about wanting the best for other people, to see to their flourishing, to be able to, willing to do the most basic, meet their most basic needs. And how does this happen? How, how does all this come together? And this is where it, it seems like the whole passage at this point is flowing towards verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I think maybe what's fascinating to me is, as I read and reread that in preparation for this, is what Paul did not say. Paul does not say, and feel peaceful. He doesn't put it that way. He doesn't even say, remember Jesus' peace from time to time. He is practically saying, you need, as a follower of Jesus, to enthrone Jesus' peace in your hearts. And the reason for this, I'm convinced, is that we have a tendency to go along with our culture. In the same way that the Christians in Colossae in the first century, to whom Paul is writing, would have felt a temptation to go along with their culture as well. We have a tendency for our peace meter, because we all have one, that thing fluctuates. And the reason, and I'm putting the, I'm not saying that it's you all, I'm in, in that mix. 
We have a tendency for that peace meter to fluctuate depending on how things are going in our lives. Our circumstances tend to dictate our approach to life. And if we have a sense of peace, if we have a sense of wholeness, that, 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 that life is not getting truly off the rails, that God is in control. And if uh, sometimes our, our finances will affect that, sometimes the reactions of our children to what we say in all our wisdom uh, has to uh, dictate that. And it rises and it falls because we're considering everything else other than the one who gives us peace. And Paul, here writing to followers of Jesus then and now, is urging us to put on this new self in the midst of a world that despises the new self. And we need a posture in which we take on compassion, hearts, and kindness, and in love, and so on. But we need a posture in which peace Reigns The peace of Christ reigns. And we need one that is ultimately not dependent on what we go through every passing day, but in the one who leads us through what we go through every passing day. There was a time when my father was quite young. He was, um, I don't know if it was some sort of um, larger extended gathering or, or a church picnic, um, but uh, it, basically a ball game uh, broke out. People chose teams. They started playing ball. And dad remembered there was someone on the opposing team, a much older uh, boy, who would approach him and, and just basically bully him, threaten him and so on. And, and dad knew he didn't have the resources to fight back. And he, he was really starting to come unglued there on the ball field. And that's when uh, my Uncle Jim, Dad's older brother by eight years, approached Dad, noticed that he was in some distress, and he said, Listen, I noticed that kid was bullying you. If he dares to try that again, you tell him that I'll deal with him. Now, notice that did not mean that the bully just evaporated. It did not mean that everything was sweetness and light for my dad. It did not mean it was all peaches and cream. But it did mean he had an advocate in the hardship. It did mean he had a defender. And in likewise fashion, we as followers of Jesus, in our culture, which throws all sorts of distressing things at us 24-7, we do not have peace, brothers and sisters, because things in our lives are peaceful. Let's not make that the basis of this. We have peace because the risen and reigning Jesus Christ is sufficient and supreme. That is our baseline. And so thus, if we have that, we can trust, everything else gets connected to this. We can trust that Jesus will work compassion within us. That he will, uh, that he will work kindness into our hearts. Humility into our disposition and so on and so forth. But we can trust that every moment that he is with us, even if circumstances are dictating something 180 degrees opposite, 
So, brothers and sisters, today, looking at this, we have an opportunity to be so countercultural. We are called, we have the opportunity to be people whose posture shows that we, our hope, is not dependent on what swirls around us. But our peace and our hope and every moment of living is rooted on one who lives for us and in us. So our posture matters. But our practice also matters. This is where uh, Paul says, that this is the attitude you take into it. Now let's talk about our actions, which also matter. Uh, and so it's a matter of our approach, our posture becoming increasingly practical as our identity in Christ increases. And our understanding of who Jesus is and what he does within us takes more solid shape as we become more united in Christ. It flows out of our stance, our posture that that Jesus' grace establishes, and so we find in verse 15, be thankful. Uh, And he doesn't say be thankful when X happens or Y happens. It's very open-ended. Okay, uh, don't don't be thankful because of your circumstances. Also, don't be masochistic and be thankful that you're going through horrendous things. Okay, people will run from you if that happens. Just an FYI. Uh, but but much like in First Thessalonians five, where where Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, uh, be thankful always. This is a perpetual action. That that no matter what, you cannot be taken out of the arms of Jesus Christ, your good shepherd. There is something to give thanks for in the midst of all your circumstances in the same way that we can have peace in our circumstances. And so coming out of the thankfulness, then what what is the fuel in our tank as things go forward? Verse 16, what other practice must we take on? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, Paul says, marinate in it. Soak in it. Let the instruction of the Lord and the teaching and the path of the gospel of Jesus inhabit deep within the core of your being. Let it get into your bones. And that means taking the time to read it, to seek it, to seek Christ in it. But when you dwell in the word of Christ, he dwells in you and changes you. The place where we choose to stay is going to mark us. It's going to transform us. We see this around us in many other uh, situations. Over the summer, uh, we had the opportunity to take our granddaughter Tori to our neighborhood swimming pool on more than one occasion because uh, she really loved it being more than one occasion. Let's face it, granddaughters can be that way. And, and as things went along, she wanted to spend more and more and more time in the pool. It would get up where we, we you know, I was there with her for about an hour and a half one day. And, and the longer she stayed in the pool, in the water it had a calming effect on her 
Uh, she, she all of a sudden was much more relaxed. Her disposition was, to, to use the language of my high schoolers, much more chill. It changed her. Where she wanted to dwell changed how she was. And that is one reason why Paul is saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly because it opens up the road for us to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, which, you know, connecting this with the Ben sermon of last week, that is from verse 10. Our new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We're being transformed. This is one of the ways to do it, but it's not something that is targeted only to us. This is an other-directed word. Let the word dwell in you, he says, but not only in you. This is not a secret hoarding. There is an otherness to, to the impact of Scripture and our scriptural habits. Uh, he, he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. There's an instructional element with encouragement, with accountability that comes for all God's people. And singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Jesus' word dwells within us when we worship him. Scripture has to be the measuring stick of how we worship and how we approach him. And all of this is leading uh, to verse 17. Whatever you do, another portion of our practice, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the core, with the word of Christ at the core of our being, as the oxygen in our lungs, we find whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, some of us might be thinking, well, that's kind of a come down. That seems very nebulous. Granted, okay, I get that. But, but there is a way I think we can bring this down to ground level, whatever you do. Maybe it comes with a series of questions we pose to ourselves. When you talk to others in your everyday, ordinary conversations, does your speech pulse with the character of Jesus? Whatever you put your hand to or whatever you attempt, do your actions reflect the nature of your Savior? When people spend any amount of time around you or me, do they come away having experienced the flavor of Christ? Do they get a whiff of Jesus through your actions? And they may not be able to place it in crystal clear fashion where they know 100% what just happened. It may be very mysterious, but God can use that mystery that you placed in their life and that gets connected two weeks later to another mysterious event where another Christian has treated them a certain way and God builds on this and connects the dots and, you know, the Holy Spirit does amazing, amazing stuff. I cannot, I, I just actually cannot emphasize that enough. But... Even if they can't pinpoint who Jesus is directly from an encounter with you, do they realize, you know what, I have just brushed up against something that is just so distinctively, delightfully different. Soren Kierkegaard once talked about putting a stone in someone's shoe, or actions doing that, and that, that kind of hobbles them, they, 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 they can't figure it out, it may even annoy them, but they know it's there. Okay, you've gotten them to think about something. 
That's part of the new self, followers of Jesus. This is part of our practice that matters. That in everything, taking from our posture all the way through the utilization and the dwelling in the word of Christ, and then whatever we do in word or deed, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It was in June of 1987 that the Wimbledon Tennis Tournament, uh, that edition of it, was starting over in England. And the odds-on favorite uh, for the singles tournament on the men's side was two-time defending champion, 19-year-old German Boris Becker. Uh, it, it seemed like there was no stopping Becker. He had torn through the field the previous two years. He was the number one seed in the entire tournament. It seemed to be a lock. Until the second round, when inexplicably he lost in four sets to Australia's Peter Doohan, who forever after became known as the Becker Wrecker. <laughs> and the, the press conference afterwards was very notable for, for one specific instance. A reporter asked Becker, what went wrong, expecting him to analyze his loss? And Becker's blue eyes got really huge, and he said, wrong? Nothing has gone wrong. Nobody died. I lost at tennis, right? And that's all he did with the question. And people marveled at the fact that Becker, at least then, was able to keep that perspective that it was just a match. In the long run of things, tennis really, big scope of things, doesn't hold much sway. But you know, it's different when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. As we put on the new self in Christ, our posture matters. Our practice matters. And they matter because the Savior who redeemed us did so at the cost of his own blood. God be praised. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that because of your redeeming work, you establish our position with new hearts. And you empower us in thankfulness where your word dwells in us richly so that we might do all in your name. Keep this vision of who we are united in you before us all the days of our lives. And we make this our prayer in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, let us